0: So welcome to Five Things from, uh, brought to you by Gray and Social Media Week. Five Things is your weekly serving of what's worth knowing in social media for the week of November 11th. My gosh, my gosh, it's fall, my friends. Okay, Uh, so who have we got with us today? Well, we're very happy to have with us in the studio at Gray Towers, uh, Nina Lakani, who is the Director of Consumer Insights and Analytics at Shake Shack. Nina, thanks for being here. Um, We also have this week Amanda Davis, who is uh, a project director for innovation here at Gray. As always, to my right, Kenny Gold, our uh, director of social media at Gray. And then Toby Daniels, the founder of Social Media Week. Hey, Toby. Hey. I am Dan Bennett, uh, worldwide chief innovation officer for Gray. So what are are this week's uh, topics? Let's cover them quickly. Uh, We're going to talk about Instagram announcing they're hiding like counts on us. Uh, in the US, Uh, Twitter launched a topics option, Facebook launched an updated logo, Uh, TikTok refusing to testify before the Senate panel, and HP rolling out their Print the Holidays campaign, which, in a very professional podcast way, is a segue to my friend Kenny Gold, who's going to kick us off and talk about HP rolling out the Print the
1: Holidays campaign. Hello, hello, everyone. Hi, Ken. Love this one. Uh, Interesting, HP rolled out their Get Real campaign about a month ago, and it raises a lot of questions about how families, parents, kids, etc., can get real. And for the holidays, the way that they've brought this out there is by creating over 250 hours worth of offline programming where you can actually print out activities for families to do together. The reason why I like it for the five things and why I think it's worth talking about is brands are now faced with the reality of dealing with this uh, offline online world and how are they allowing people to disconnect while still staying connected to brands hp leaning into their printer heritage was able to say we're going to give you the chance to print out these activities so you can spend time disconnected with one another i think it's very fascinating i think it's a good lesson for brands to be true to themselves while facing the realities of what technology has done to the people's attention span, what it has done to the family dynamic. Uh, So just a really interesting thought for the holidays. And one of the first holiday campaigns I've actually seen already released as we're leading into the holiday season.
2: So it's zeitgeisty. It's like one of those things that, you know, you sort of anticipate or expect brands to do. Jump on the moment, right? Get behind... Um, something that that feels very much of the moment that people kind of like are caring about, et cetera, et cetera. But like, is it meaningful at the end of the day when it comes to kind of what HP fundamentally stands for and whether this is something that they truly care about? The REI example where they basically shut down their stores like over the course of, of uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, I think that it demonstrates something that that really speaks to their core values and doesn't feel like they're just jumping on a moment. My question is like, "Mm, this just feels like a, a bit of a campaign stunt.
1: So I think what they've done is they've carved out a very nice portion of this activation for their product, but that is not the entirety of what the activation is. I think they've built off of a consumer insight. They've tried to make it as non gimmicky as possible. REI has the benefit of being first to market, first mover in the space and being able to jump on sort of this disconnect to reconnect trend. Brands are figuring out how to do it in an authentic way. Without having seen the actual content itself, who knows if HP's actually achieved that, but it's better to see brands leaning into consumer insight that way than what we're seeing a lot of times with how people are jumping on every blank national day of the year kind of thing. So personally, I think it's an interesting thought. I think they've done a nice job of leveraging content to tell the story. Will it be the next REI activation? Who the hell knows? But it's definitely a step in the right direction.
0: Listen, not to be too um, fastidious about this, but being as I open this podcast saying that is uh, a weekly serving of things in social media that are worth knowing, um, what the deviled egg does this have to do with social media?
1: It's a content distribution vehicle.
0: Okay. That's e- all.
2: Everything has everything to do. So with we're talking
0: work. about providing uh, a catalyst for conversation and social. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, that I think also working, like, look, you know, the... Right? Re-
3: like, we're talking about a printer company right now. So far, you're right. Like, yeah,
1: true. Too story. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about a brand that ha- people don't talk about ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially their printers. Yeah. Great. Right. You yeah. also
3: got, like, millennials and gen- like and other folks talking and using them as meme content for the OK Boomer like oh, situation like right now
1: good it's true but they're also
3: appealing to boomers those are the people who are buying printers for now, their children now, who can't afford them you're not
1: seeing a run from gen z on buying <laughs> right, printers right exactly not that, yet
0: that voice you hear is Nina's and that actually uh, I am a pro at this cuz I can segue perfectly into our <laughs> next topic keeping everybody on on time here which is instagram announcing that they're hiding like counts in the US, Nina Lacani.
3: Yeah, so this is my favorite uh, five thing to know this week. I think it's it's fun, it's topical. We know that they rolled out this campaign in Canada a while back, they've expanded the test, which is basically instead of you seeing the number of likes that other people in your feed have, you're just seeing liked by so-and-so and others. Um, it's, it's vague, it's interesting that they're using it to talk about hiding this concept of self-worth and trying to be a little bit more body positive and friendly, but really, I think it's about moving into paid social. Instagram doesn't benefit from influencer marketing, but when it becomes a paid social move, now brands have to pay for their ads to stick out on their feeds, and I I think that that's where it's going. I'm interested to see what it's going to do to content development yeah. and how that's going to change influencer marketing.
2: I... Oh, oh, what I was going to say was just like that was a, a, a great summation, also a deeply cynical way of kind of like looking at the situation. But I think you're absolutely spot on. But I have a question to throw back at you as as someone who works for one of my favorite brands in the world, Shake Shack. Um, how Im- how do you think about this from the brand's perspective, right? Because this initiative is all about kind of like, you know, how do we sort of secure or, or protect people's sort of like well-being in regards to how they use social media? But how do you think about it from the brand's perspective? Like, you know, removing like counts from the content that like your brand is putting out to the world. To what extent does that matter?
3: Definitely. I mean, we use in- influencer marketing like many brands and like counts are, be they not the best measure, but they are one of the only measures of engagement. And removing that, makes it very difficult to understand the pulse of what you're doing and how engaged your followers are with certain pieces of content. It also changes the way we think about what to put on social. The idea of Instagrammable content is a huge piece of how we design and develop our brand strategy. Uh, So what does that mean? Do we not have pop-ups that are just kind of made for a social buzz moment? I don't know.
1: Well, it's interesting. I think what it does is it forces us to think about quality versus the vanity metric of likes which because the channel is not giving us much more we rely on that as the only totally. and I, and I love this idea that by removing the like count we are forcing brands individuals influencers to be fully focused on what Instagram was meant to be from the beginning which was a place to share quality content now i think the onus is on facebook And the the family of companies Mm -hmm. to think about what are the true metrics that provide value to brands to be able to lean into. You know, it's it's striking to me that a company that is being asked to be more transparent and more on point with what they're delivering is now leaning into the vague. I like it's insanity to me, but quality content is what we at Gray are always focused on. So for me, removing the light count moves back to the qualitative thought versus the quantitative here
0: thought. at gray we're advocates of quality <laughs> content since 1970
1: oh so he could be at social media week at shake shack let me
0: let me ask you let me ask you this right being a cynic uh, uh uh which is natural for british people i think but but is there an element of this which is how, which is gearing towards pushing um the other uh, mediums that Instagram would like us to use, especially as advertisers more frequently, so stories, more interactive content, those types of things, because we're able to understand uh, how it's consumed better now, right? We can't rely on the like. I need to know have people watched, how long have people watched for.
2: I do think that's an important point, because stories already, you know, it doesn't have the ability for other people to see like how popular something it is there's already like a certain level of opaqueness there so with um, high with
1: high metrics available to see like for stories I love that we don't see how many people like it, but we get dwell time.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Like the fact that we know how long someone holds their thumb down to look mm-hmm. at a at a story. Mm-hmm. To me, that is such a true right. yeah. uh, identifier of if this were quality or not, because people want to see what's actually happening.
2: Well, look, so, I mean, but you know, I interviewed someone from Buzzfeed last week, and and you know, they talk a lot about like watch time now is one of the most important metrics, coming off the back of share counts being kind of like also important for them in terms of thinking about engagement. But watch time is is clearly something like watch time, dwell time is clearly a good indicator of engagement. And I think if you make a whole bunch of things like very opaque for people, but then focus on the things that like drive better, higher quality engagement, that forces people to think about what is the value exchange here for the people that we want to engage with um, ultimately, I think that content will get better and and you know hopefully the environment, the space in which we're operating in will become a much higher quality one as a result.
0: All right, uh, moving on. So Twitter uh, recently launched Topic, their topics option. And uh, Amanda, you're going to start this one.
4: This was a, a good segue. So, Twitter formally launched its topics option, which lets people follow topics similar to the way that they could follow hashtags and see those updates coming in with their feed. I think coming off of the Instagram conversation, this is pretty interesting. It's clear that Twitter's trying to find a new metric or a new level of success that it goes beyond likes or retweets. So, opening this up and letting people have a bit of a conversation adds more time in the app, more time using Twitter, and essentially more time spent. Bent using the channel versus other channels.
1: So why I like this, and why I think it's very interesting. Twitter's often lumped into Facebook and Instagram. It's like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Twitter is a different animal. It meets more of like what Reddit provides mm-hmm. to the world than say what Facebook and Instagram provides mm-hmm. to the world. So Twitter was the beneficiary of the Trump bump. Everybody is there trying to follow what's happening on uh, in the political space. Mm-hmm. But additionally, the people who are true Twitter evangelists use it to create their custom news feeds for themselves so they can see what's going on in the topics that matter to them. By releasing topics this way, this might not matter for marketers, but it creates spaces where people can follow the things that matter to them and mm-hmm. join go, get into the niche communities that matter to them, which is very much how Reddit operates as well. For marketers though, I think what Twitter is creating is a new targetable group of people that they can go after. Mm-hmm. So if they're following a topic of environmentalism and you're a Volvo, for example, you might go after and target those people in an interesting way, so. Does it, does it um, reinforce or does it uh, deflate
0: the problem of the echo chamber, right? I think about the algorithm behind what I would see in my Twitter feed and I feel like to some extent the algorithm is going to serve me um, some topical elements that I haven't selected, mm-hmm. and that that doesn't that, that that perpetuates the echo chamber. Does this does this help us to break those walls down a bit?
3: Oh, I think it's not that's not what it's about. I think it's about those people who aren't really engaged in Twitter, who don't right. know how to use it, who it's overwhelming to. And the idea of I know maybe six people in this small specific niche space, mm-hmm. but what else is happening here? And it actually is a real good example. And I think it's almost long overdue, of using machine learning. Like it should have been doing this ages ago. It's starting with just the topic, then it's looking at other people in your network, then it's moving further down. And theoretically, it should move into image and video content too. It's not there yet. I think the echo chamber's real, but I think for new and not really avid users, that's what they want. It want, You wanna find go down that rabbit hole and see what else everyone who
4: has a similar shared interest to you sure. is looking at And it. find your community too. Like right. I think this lets yeah. people that aren't very well-versed in Twitter have a place to go and they know what they're gonna get, they know what they're gonna receive and they know who to follow and what to talk about. Without
1: being, without being attacked by the things that they don't wanna hear right. about.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, first of all, I think this is something that Twitter can own, right? They've been sort of like scraping around, sort of trying to sort of compete. Um, you know, come out with features that kind of, like, you know, compete with, like, the Instagrams and the Saps of this world. And th- those were always, the like, the wrong moves. Mm-hmm. Because Twitter can own so much in terms of what makes it uniquely different. And topics is definitely kind of one thing. Um, I think, in terms of like this idea of breaking out of the echo chamber, how you serve topics, what what the what role the algorithm plays, and what role people play in terms of serving you topics of interest is going to be absolutely key here. I actually think LinkedIn does a good job of this. Like, if you actually follow. Um, or, or or look at the hashtags that are kind of served to you as interest based kind of like conversations that you can join. That is one way that you can get out of your own professional echo chamber and jump into basically other silos. Um, and I think that's kind of super important. so I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think it's very ownable for Twitter. I think they should double down on on this. So Kenny, in
0: uh, the 11 seconds we have left for this one, if you're a marketer listening, how does this? benefit you? Custom audiences. Great.
4: Yeah.
0: That was five seconds. Congratulations. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Let's move on. So, Toby Daniels, you're going to talk to us about Facebook launching their updated
2: logo. So, this is really interesting. I'm going to come at it from a few different perspectives and perhaps not necessarily like the most obvious one. So it's part of a larger effort to create a much clearer connection between Facebook Inc, the corporate mothership, um, and then all of its sort of constituent brands, right? So Facebook, the platform, Instagram, Messenger, WhatsApp, et cetera. And so the plan is to attach from Facebook to each of these brands using this like new logo as like the primary um, identifier. So um, in, the, in the Verge article, which we're referencing here, um, Antonio Lucio, who's Facebook's chief marketing officer, said people should know which companies make the products that they use. That makes a ton of sense. I think it's very obvious, um, but when you dig into the Verge article, I think there are some really interesting sort of thoughts to to share that will hopefully kind of, you know, drive this conversation. So first of all, the Verge does a pretty good job of, like, eviscerating Facebook's new logo, talks about it's boring, <laughs> it's corporate, yada, 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 totally missing the point. Who fucking cares? Like, who cares, honestly, like, what this looks like from a from a design standpoint what's much more important is is, is what this like represents um, in terms of the message that facebook is putting out into the world in terms of like what its strategic priorities are logos are always gonna get slammed Remember when airbnb came out with their logo yeah you they can't still have the you same can, logo you, you can't win launching okay logo it's a perfectly okay logo that everyone has like got used yeah. to and yes it kind of like looked weirdly phallic in some way but the truth is that like over time it doesn't matter as much as people think that it does Facebook, in my opinion, is making a really bold statement here about um, about where they're heading strategically, how they see themselves, and the confidence that they have in the Facebook name. Particularly at a time when they're obviously facing huge amounts of like scrutiny and criticism, right? So whether you like it or not, whether you agree with the strategy or not, what what's important to me when when I'm thinking about this um in terms of how it's perceived like within the industry or or even more broadly publicly is that this feels very like a very self-assured very confident move from facebook right they could be sort of trying to they could be like okay instagram you have to distance yourself from facebook right instead they're saying no we're going to attach the facebook name to instagram because we want to come out and make a very bold and very confident statement about like what we think is important where we're heading strategically as a company and guess what the company's doing great financially. I mean, you look at like the last earnings call and how they're performing, like they're, they're basically saying, look, we're confident in this brand, we're in this for the long haul, attaching the name Facebook to all of these constituent brands is a way for us to kind of like create a clearer connection between the company and these brands. And also it's a way for us to make a bold and confident statement. Okay, so, you... oh, sorry.
3: No, go, I was, go ahead. I was just gonna say, do you think that the other brands like Instagram and WhatsApp are being hurt by this move. Oh, a lot of people yeah. didn't even know that Instagram was connected to Facebook.
2: No,
1: I don't. Uh, I completely disagree. I think this is a pure look over here moment. I don't think that its it doesn't show any insight into their strategic vision. This feels like the snowball rolling down the hill where they're like, what can we do to ensure that our piece of the pie is we can show the world that it's ours. It's flag planting. And honestly, for marketers, it's a little terrifying because I think you're going to start to see that this audience that you went to Instagram to get because you couldn't get them at Facebook anymore is going to start to reject Instagram. And they're going to go to the next thing and they're going to start to reject that. The consumer base is very wise to their fears about what Facebook does for them, and I think we've seen a dip in Facebook membership, and Instagram is going to start to feel that a little bit. And the more Facebook plants their flag into "we own Instagram too," I think they're going to start to feel that Facebook effect a little I bit. I think
0: you might be, um, I think you might be overstating a little bit how how much people actually care. Right, at, that's at, my at, at point. Ownership people don't, people I hear care. you, but we're so close to it. We might feel that way. If you disconnect yourself just for a heartbeat, you know. And I were able to tell my, you know, my dad, who doesn't use or care or probably think much about Facebook, but uses WhatsApp all the time. And I said to him, you know, you, you know, Facebook owns that. He wouldn't give a monkey's. He doesn't care. Can I still send irrelevant photos to you at five in the morning because he happens mm. to live in Europe? Uh, yes. Then I'm still in. It's fine.
4: It's also a different behavior from when a lot of these platforms first started. People did care a lot more about privacy and security and data, whereas now it's become such a normal part of their life. When people originally went to Instagram from Facebook when it first came out, it was kind of a safe haven. It was different than what they knew. Their parents didn't have it. It was kind of this like rebellious attitude towards it. But I think everybody is coming around to understand that all of the things they use have something that might not make them feel great about it or a little bit of a question mark. But to Dan's point, they're still gonna use it.
1: The reason why new channels continue to emerge in the social space is because entrepreneurs understand that there is a white space to create the new safe haven because Gen Z and millennial audiences are constantly looking for the next jump to get away from where their parents are, where their grandparents are, and where most of their- I
2: wanna wanna cool bullshit and I wanna ask you a question. It, it's, a, it's a generational thing, right? There is always going to be a product or a platform, or an environment that's going to appeal to a certain young generation of users, right? TikTok is that for very, very young people. Of course, TikTok is going to broaden and appeal to like 25 to 45 year olds. That's a kind of a big part of their move right now. But ultimately, why would a young person leave TikTok and where would they go? Instagram or Snap, right? That's happening. That's just like a natural kind of process or progress that people make as they get older and as they seek new and different experiences. And I'm not saying that all of these platforms will be around forever, but I think we can. it's so easy to overstate this kind of idea that these platforms are gonna become irrelevant or people are gonna start to migrate away from them simply because of the corporations that they are ultimately attached to. Like, if that was true, then why are people on TikTok given its association and connection to China like people just don't care What is your question for our brand friend so, here? brand friend so so from the brand perspective um, does this matter to you like Shake Shack probably is working across all of these different platforms and channels to what extent does this really matter having the Facebook name connected to these um, other constituent social media kind of platforms
3: It doesn't matter. I mean, we don't think about it. I'm gonna speak on behalf of the company, but I just don't think that that's something I care about. I, as a consumer, am more like, hmm, questioning. As a company, I think that until there's something better with a bigger audience and a bigger reach, I'm keeping myself exactly where I
0: am. All right, perfect, perfect. That's four down, one to go. Kenny, we saved a meaty one for you to finish this up. Mm it is that TikTok has refused to testify before a Senate panel. By the way, yeah.
2: I did lay that one up for you, so I didn't even need your segue. Yeah. I
0: know. Yeah, but you did the segue <SSSSSSSSSR> he already had prior the segue to the ready. end of the last... That's not how that segue thing works. Okay. okay. Yep. Come on, okay fine. Children, exactly ال- children, children. <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay, so let's talk about around.
1: TikTok a little bit. They're getting bigger, starting to learn who's investing in the company, where their data is living, all of this type of stuff. Clarify it- that. What? Who's investing and where's the data? Live? Okay, so what we have here is that,, uh, you know, Congress has learned that China has invested in TikTok, yeah, and that there are Chinese investors in TikTok and that there is a concern over where all the data for the people who are using TikTok lives. Fine. So what does that mean? The Senate- wait, wait l- l- hold on. oh, so are are we- you know, I-
0: I've got to make sure we get it right, right? <laughs> okay, so the data, as far as I,
1: no, most recently, is stored local to where the activity yes, takes place. Correct, right? Okay. But that leaves open holes for people if someone wants to hack it to be able to access data from different markets as well. Okay. So that being said, the Senate wants TikTok to come and testify in front of them. There's a concern about data privacy, and TikTok has said no. So why does that matter? I think TikTok needs to learn some lessons from its brethren around the social space, um, because they're going to get nowhere telling the regulatory industries that live in our markets that they're not going to talk about what's going on there. It's a lesson in a need for transparency and immediate transparency, or else some sort of Caesar-looking individual uh, going in front of Congress and saying uh, that, you know, everything's secure, everything's fine, is going to be a fate that TikTok What what do you uh, think is the worst case
2: scenario in them not showing up and testifying or or, or just not offering any level of transparency? Like what are you or what should we be most concerned? So I think about it this way. When I think about youth, the youth
1: audience that lives on TikTok and how young they are, I fear, I don't fear, I think that parents are going to start to say, we don't want you using this app because we're concerned about what happens with the data and who has access to it. In a culture that is now learning the intricacies of deep fakes and the ability to take these types of content and actually use it for something that's maybe more nefarious it's a concern that parents are going to start to have and when they hear that congress is regulating it or congress is trying to understand what's going on with data security it creates an opportunity to maybe take a dent in their user base
2: well parents should be and if they're not already significantly more concerned about their kids watching YouTube, which is an American owned company where the content and the data lives on American servers, right? That's That represents a much bigger concern for people, I think, in terms of like how the algorithm works, how the recommendation engine works, the, the rabbit holes that you can go down and the content that you can consume on that platform. I'm not suggesting that TikTok shouldn't be 100% or it shouldn't be more transparent, it shouldn't show up, it shouldn't be participating in this conversation. Of course they should, but let's not conflate the relationship to China and our concern with where data is stored with um, the protection of, of of the users of these platforms in terms of creating safe places for them to engage.
1: Okay, so I think what this exposes is something that's bigger than okay, so TikTok won't get in front of the Senate. Fine. Understood. They don't feel like they owe it to them. They don't feel like it's something that's necessary for their for their growth, whatever it is. I think it creates the narrative that there's time for the social media industry to start to decide if they're going to self-regulate or they're going to work within the markets that they are in to regulate based on the standards of those governments. The video game industry faced a very similar tipping point um, in the 80s and 90s with the growth of the ESRB and the need for them to self-regulate video games so that the so congress wouldn't do it themselves. It is time at this point for the social media community to get together, the leaders of this community, and create some sort of self-regulation.
0: Uh, I, 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 go ahead, I'm sorry. No, be... no, go ahead, please. Well, mine was, a, mine was, a, I, I was trying to wrap this up, um, but I wanted to add a little, because I know this podcast is huge in Hollywood, um, <laughs> that, that I think about Mark Zuckerberg trying to explain WhatsApp to Congress, if you remember it. Yes. Um,
1: I would love to see uh, the founders of TikTok trying to explain <laughs> TikTok to the same audience. Okay. So, Fair enough. Fine. One last thing I want to bring up about this is the U.S. Army has said that they were going to start using TikTok to start to recruit the next generation of of soldiers. Chuck Schumer came out and said, I want to be very careful of how the U.S. Army is going to start to use this channel to reach the next generation of consumers. That is where this starts to get, to get very interesting. When brands, corporations, especially those that are a part of the U.S. government are going to start to use this as a means of connecting with a new audience, then we need to start to be wary of where this data lives and what it means for brands. That is
0: a... Just a thought. Fantastically concise point to Fascinating end. Fascinating To end our fifth thing. <laughs> no one had a re- reaction to that. It was just me. Okay, I, fine. Listen, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but I think we just did five things... Five, things, five minutes, 25 minutes. That's almost pro. Uh, the control room are waving at me. So I want to thank Nina Lacani for coming in, spending time with us. Uh, con- Director of Consumer Insights at Shake Shack. Amanda Davis, Toby Daniels, Kenny Gold, myself, Dan Bennett. Five Things for the week of 11th of November 2019 is
1: done. The Five Things is produced by Andrew Petit, Joey Scarillo, and Christina Torres and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray, is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.